Oh, it's been incredible worshiping Jesus this morning, hasn't it? You know, from the moment Jesus was born, the whole purpose and the whole reason that He came was to bring glory to God. And some of you are going, wait, 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 I thought He came to save us. I thought He came to redeem us. I thought He came to give His life for us. But, but here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that, that before Jesus, the whole purpose, the whole reason that He came was to bring glory to God. Think about it. What, what did the angels declare at his birth? When they met with the shepherds, what did they say to them? I know you have to think all the way back to Christmas. Glory to God in the highest. They say the Messiah has been born. They pro- proclaim glory to God in the highest. So from his birth, he began to bring glory to God. But not only that, it, throughout his life. Listen to what he said in, in, in John chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. He says, So Jesus said to them, When you had lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing. I do nothing from my own authority. But I speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always... How often does He? always do the things that are what? Pleasing to Him. In other words, all I do are things that are pleasing to the Father, that bring glory to the Father. And then Jesus closes out right before He's crucified. At His death, He prays this prayer for His disciples. And we're going to look more in depth at this prayer after Easter. Uh, We're going to do an entire series, just a few weeks, just studying this particular prayer because it's such an powerful prayer for how you and I are to live out our faith. But listen to what he says as he's praying to the Father just before his betrayal and arrest. And he says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. What hour? The hour of his death, the hour of his crucifixion, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may what? Glorify you. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh and given eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that you know, that you know the one true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In verse 4, I glorified you on earth. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, Jesus came. His purpose of His life, the purpose of His death, the purpose and the reason that He came was to bring glory to God. Today we're in, our, in our, almost our final week of this series, the model of what it means to follow Jesus. We'll close it out next week. But, but we've been looking at, at this, these priorities, this pattern of Jesus' life, showing you and I how we're to live. Helping model for us what it means to live out our faith, to, to walk like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And we've said there's been a few key pieces of Jesus' life. We said, first and foremost, he, had, he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus was guided by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was dependent upon the Spirit. But he also lived a life of fervent prayer. We see throughout Jesus' life, he would always pull away to pray. And the disciples were often looking for him, like, where did he go? We don't know. We must be praying. 
And so Jesus was always praying, constantly praying. Not only that, the Word of God was central in his life. It, it, he built his entire life, everything he did, everything he said was built around the Word of God. The, the, what we talked about last week was he was obedient to his father's agenda. As a matter of fact, Paul said he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then today we're looking at the fact that throughout Jesus' life, everything he did, everything he said, every action he took was done to exalt the Father, to glorify the Father. So it makes sense to me that if, if Jesus' entire life was lived to the glory of the Father, and we are called to be like Jesus, then our entire lives should be lived to the glory of the Father. Everything about our lives should bring glory to God. God created you and I for the very same purpose of glorifying God. Think about it this way. God's aim, His purpose in creating the world and redeeming the world that you and I live in was for His glory. That's why He redeemed us. That's why He created us, so that He could get glory. And some of you are going, well, that sounds a little egotistical. That God would create the world and redeem the world for His glory? Yes. Absolutely, because His glory, the whole purpose, he was, the whole thing He was doing, the purpose He was doing from the beginning of time to the day that He returns is to exalt His name, to glorify His name, to declare His glory. Glory to God in the highest. See, Jesus' work of redemption, His work of redemption was, was designed and purposed to magnify the glory of God. God, in His incredible mercy, sent His Son, who we just read in that prayer, who left glory in order to become one of us. So that everyone who believes will receive forgiveness of sins. So God created the world for the praise of His for, for the praise of the glory of His grace displayed in the death of Jesus. Pretty powerful to think about that, that this pursuit of God's own glory comes to the apex, come to the, comes to the climax. At the cross. You see, at the cross, God upholds His glory and provides our forgiveness. Think about this. At the cross, God magnifies His worth and satisfies our souls. At the cross, God establishes His honor. He establishes His honor and secures our salvation. See, everything, all of it, had been leading to this point where Scripture says that at that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you know that verse, what does it say? For the glory of the Father. See, it's all culminating to, to, for the glory of God the Father. That's why every knee shall bow. That's why every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, the gospel, the gospel is God's plan, God's purpose, 
God's design for glorifying Himself. It's all designed to bring Him glory. You see, often I think sometimes, I know I have it in my own life, like I, I tend to cheapen the gospel by thinking it's about my forgiveness. Like I tend to, to cheapen it by saying, oh yeah, Jesus came to bring forgiveness to me. And while that is true, that is not the greater thing that He came for. The greater thing He came for was to glorify the Father. You see, forgiveness is a means to an end. Forgiveness is the way that God gets glorified. That's why every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, the purpose of this message. We're going we're gonna to talk all about that. Hang with us. We're going to get into what it means to glorify God and what it means to bring glory to Him. But here's the, here's what the point I want you to see. And the purpose of this message is to reveal, reveal the greater. Reveal what this greater purpose of the gospel, why Jesus lived His life, the way that He did, in order to glorify the Father and how you and I are to live our lives in order to glorify the Father. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's suppose that, that you sin against your spouse. None of y'all have done that, right? Y'all never said words or done actions that hurt your spouse? Okay, yeah, y'all are all lying if you didn't. We all have, right? And let's say you do that today, because some of you will. Some of you are going to do something. You're going to say something. You're going to do something that's going to hurt your spouse. And you're going to need forgiveness, right? But why do you want forgiveness? You don't want forgiveness just for the sake of forgiveness. You don't want forgiveness in and of itself. You want forgiveness because you want her. You want forgiveness because you want Him. You want forgiveness so that you can enjoy His presence or her presence without the barrier of offense. That's why you seek forgiveness from your spouse when you hurt them. Because you want the, the glory of their presence. You want to be in their presence. You want them without the barrier of offense. And the same is true with God. You and I need forgiveness because our sin has separated us from God. Our sin has caused us to be uh, out of fellowship, out of relationship with God. And forgiveness is not the goal. God is. The goal is His presence without the barrier of our sin. That's the purpose. That's the goal. That's why forgiveness removes the barrier we have, to, uh, we have between, our relationship with, uh, between our relationship with God. See, that, that, that forgiveness uh, removes the barrier. Because forgiveness is not the goal. God is. Listen to what uh, Peter said in, in 1 Peter 3.18. He says, Christ suffered once for our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might what? Bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You see, Jesus died. He suffered and died so that He could remove that barrier. And we could have God. So that we could have a relationship with God. How many of you heard of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Anybody? A few of you. And what does it say? It asks this question. 
What is the chief end of man? Does anybody know what the answer is? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what it says. It says the chief end of us, the chief end, the purpose of our lives is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But you see, if there's a barrier to that relationship with God, we can't enjoy Him forever. And if we can't enjoy Him forever, we can't glorify Him. It is impossible to glorify God. And it is impossible to enjoy Him forever without the removal of the barrier caused by sin. Which begs the question, how do we glorify God? What does it mean for you and I to glorify God? That's a great question. I think it's one we have to ask. We're going to have to dive into. John Piper, who is a, a pastor in Minnesota, he, he coined this phrase that I think is, is incredibly helpful in understanding how you and I can glorify God. And he shows how we glorify God. And he says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is more glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So how do we glorify God? By being satisfied in Him. Let's talk about that for the remainder of our time. Philippians 1 is where John Piper came to this conclusion as he was studying Philippians. And he realized that this is, this is how you and I glorify God. By being satisfied in Him. Because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And listen to, listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi as he, was, um, as he was teaching them and walking them through. And in the beginning in verse 20, he says this, As it is my eager expectation and my hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. Christ will be honored. He will be glorified. He will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And look at verse 20, uh, 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If, I'm a, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. God is most glorified in us, when we are most satisfied in Him. Paul is saying here that the great passion of his life, the very purpose of his life, is that Jesus would be magnified, that Jesus would be glorified, that Jesus would be honored both in His living and in His dying. Paul wants to live his life in such a way in such a way that when people look at the way he lives, they will say, Christ is great. 
And he wants to die in such a way that when people look at the way he dies, they will say, Christ is great. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now, that's why God created us. That's why God saved us. That's why he offers us forgiveness and redemption. Why? So that you and I, as Jesus' followers, will exalt Jesus and proclaim to all the world that he is supremely great. That he is supremely glorious. That he is supremely honored above all things. That's why he died. And the, and the key to this, the key to understanding this and how and glorifying God in our lives is found in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That verse has vastly shaped how I believe that I glorify Christ in my life. It is really a life verse of mine. It's one of the few verses I memorized in Greek. Zau Christos, Kaiapathnikos, Kyrdos. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, that verse, verse 21, shapes my understanding of how to glorify Christ. It's, 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 it's one of those verses that really is a mantra for how you and I are to live. And Paul explains, to live is Christ. Let's start there. To live is what? Christ. To live, to li for you and I to live our lives as Christ. Now you're going, okay, what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, thankfully, Paul answers that later on in the book of Philippians. In verse 3, chapter 8 of Philippians, he says this, Indeed, I count what? Everything. And the Greek word for everything in that verse is everything. I count every relationship, every earthly pursuit, every job, every pleasure, I count everything. As what? Loss. I count it all as loss. Everything that's in my life, I consider it as loss. Think about the best things in your life right now. Maybe a relationship. It may be your job. It may be some, some earthly pleasure. Maybe whatever it is. And Paul is saying, listen, I count it as loss. That Diet Coke, that, that whatever it is, is loss. Compared to what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul's saying, listen, I count everything in loss because of the surpassing worth. Look at that, the surpassing glory, the worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered what? The loss of all things. And count them as what? Rubbish. Now the Greek word that he uses there for rubbish is dung. Pretty sharp, huh? Think about what he's saying. He's saying everything in my life, everything in my life, I consider a pile of crap compared to knowing Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. You know what to live as Christ is like? 
for me to glorify Christ, to live as Christ, is to consider everything is dung, consider everything is rubbish apart from knowing Christ in order that I may gain Christ. And these are Paul's words, Paul's words. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, Jesus is more valuable, more precious, more satisfying than all that life has to offer. Jesus is more satisfying than all of that. But what does he mean by to die is gain? That's what he means to live as Christ. And we kind of get that. Okay, I get it. I, I understand that, that you know, Jesus is to be above all relationships, all pursuits, all goals, all, all aspects of my life. But what does it mean to die is gain? Here's what I believe Paul means. I believe that he means that if you add up all the losses that death will cost you, if you add up all the losses that death will cost you, you add your family, your job, your dream retirement, your relationships, you add the friends that you'll leave behind, you add your favorite pleasures in life, you add those things that you enjoy doing, you add up all of those losses and you consider it gain that you would have Christ. That's what Paul's saying. It means that Jesus satisfies me so fully that losing everything in death and getting only Jesus is gain. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. To sum up this verse, Jesus is glorified in you and I. He is glorified in us when He is more precious, more valuable, more satisfying than all that life can give and all that death can take away. That's what Paul is saying. That Jesus is more satisfying than all that life can give and all that death can take away. Why? Because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. But look at what He continues to say in Philippians 1, verse 22. Look at what He says. We'll go back to that verse. He says, For I am to live in the flesh. That means fruitful labor for me. In other words, I will continue to be able to minister to you. I will continue to be able to lead the church. I will continue to be able to do those things. But which should I choose? Life or death? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I don't, I don't know because look what He says. He says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that is what? Far better. Like my desire is to leave and go to heaven, to leave my family behind, to leave my loved ones behind, to leave my job behind, to leave it all behind and to be with Christ because that's better. But then he also says, but I'm convinced of this, that to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You see, none of us in this room could imagine saying to Jesus, not one of us in this room could imagine saying to Jesus, you know what, Jesus? I don't want you. Not right now, at least. I mean, eventually I do, but, but I don't really want you right now. I, I mean, what really matters to me right now is my career. Like, Jesus, I really don't want you right now because what really matters to me is my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my my spouse. What, God, Jesus, what really matters to me right now is, is, is you know, the, the, the food and drink and the friends that I have. I mean, good things, not just sin, but like good things. 
Like, those things matter to me more than you. Like, none of us would say that, would we? But yet, how often do we live that way? How often do we live our lives in such a way that we're seeking satisfaction and pleasure and, and, and um, fulfillment in the things of this earth? Like we're pursuing that next promotion, we're pursuing that next date, we're pursuing that next person in our lives that's going to bring us satisfaction and fulfillment. And we would never say that to Jesus, like, no, Jesus, I'm pursuing that more than I'm pursuing you. But yet, by the way we live our lives, that's exactly what we're doing. We're absolutely living our lives seeking joy and happiness from circumstances, from relationships, from the pleasures of this earth. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, and what Paul is saying, listen, you would, you're, the only way you're going to be satisfied is finding that satisfaction in the present, in the fullness of His presence. That's it. To live is Christ and to die is gain because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And when we grasp this, when we grasp this idea that our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction, our greatest pleasure, our greatest desires will be met when we find them only in God, not in the good things He does for us, but not merely His gifts, but in God Himself, it changes everything. I mean, it changes absolutely every aspect of your life. Let me just, I'm just going to rattle off a few of them. First of all, it changes conversion. Think about this. It makes this idea that Jesus taught in Matthew 13 come alive, where Jesus said the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he sells all that he has, so that he can buy that field. So see, here's what happens. At conversion, we understand that being a Christian is not simply believing truth. It's about gaining a treasure. So it changes our, our, our perspective of conversion. It said, okay, it's not just about believing a truth. It is about purchasing a treasure. It is about finding a treasure and selling all I have to get that treasure. Which then changes our evangelism, doesn't it? Because listen, we're no longer trying to go out in the world and to where we live, work, and play and convince people of truth. What we're doing is we're saying, listen, look at this treasure I found. I think that part of the reason nobody wants to know our Jesus is because we're not showing them the treasure we found. We're trying to argue them with truth. And he's saying, listen, you sell all that you have because this treasure is greater than anything you'll ever have in this earth. It changes our conversion, it changes our, our evangelism, it changes our worship. When we understand that we are most satisfied, that all of our greatest satisfaction, all of our greatest joy, all of our greatest pleasure comes in Christ alone, it changes how we worship. When we gather here and worship, we're not just here because we have to do so out of duty, we do so because of delight. Like, if people were to stand up on this side of the worship and look at our faces, what would they see? Would they see joy? Or would they see a group of people that are pained to be here? 
Because that's what I fear happens so often in our churches. That people don't see us worshiping out of joy. They don't see us worshiping out of delight. They see us worshiping out of duty. Now, this, this uh, Friday is Valentine's Day, right? Men, just a heads up. This Friday is Valentine's Day. Now, let's say Friday, I get home, and I've got a, I stop by Publix, grab a bouquet of flowers, and I walk up to the door. And, all right, I'll get chocolate too, Hannah. Um, Nicole, Hannah's looking out for you. She got you. She got your back. This sisterhood thing is unbelievable. Um, so, let's say I walk up to the door, knock on the door, you know, I normally don't knock on the door. I normally go in the garage, but I want to surprise Nicole. I want something special. And I, and I walk up to her and I say, you know, Nicole, I, I brought you flowers and, and, and chocolate. And, and I brought you flowers and chocolate, and I made reservations at the Cork and Flame. And we're going to go out on a date. The kids are all taken care of. They're going to have chicken nuggets or whatever they're going to do. They're going to order them pizza, um, yeah, uh, macaroni and cheese, whatever. Like, I don't care what y'all eat. Y'all are teenagers. Figure it out. And so I tell them that, and I tell Nicole that, and I said, listen, I'm doing this, honey, because, one, Hannah told me I had to get chocolate. And I was reading a magazine this week, and it said the duty of a husband was to bring their wife flowers on Valentine's Day. How would that date go? Not great, would it? But how, on the other hand, what if I... What if I show up at the door and do the same thing? I say, listen, I've got his reservations at dinner. I brought you flowers and I brought you chocolate. And the reason I did that is because I love you. And the reason I did that is because I want to be with you. See, that is what worship is, church. We don't show up and do this because of duty. We show up and worship Christ and learn from his word because we want to be with him. So it changes our worship. Not only that, it changes what we think about self-denial. What did Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, to live as Christ and to die as gain means that we're willing to deny ourselves the wealth of this world so that we can have the wealth of being with Christ. We are willing to deny ourselves the fame of this world in order that we can make him famous. We are willing to to deny ourselves the security and the safety of this world in order to have solid, secure fellowship with Jesus. We're willing to deny ourselves the pleasure of this world so that we can have the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in God's presence. That's what it means to live as Christ. But not only that, it changes the way we love others. Here's what I mean. We begin to understand that love, where Jesus said that you will be known by the way that you love. They will know your disciples by the way you love. Here's what it does. It changes the fact that love now becomes defined as the overflow of joy that we have in God that overflows to meet the needs of others. In other words, love is the impulse of the joy that we have in God extended to others no matter the cost. It transforms the way we think about love. And here's the reality. You and I are not able to glorify God from our heart, if we're, not, uh, if we're not able to glorify God from our heart, we're not going to be able to love people. It's just a fact of the matter. It changes how we view money. We begin to see that money is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul said that we would become cheerful givers. Not giving out of compulsion, but giving cheerfully. And what, here's what happens. The motive behind us being generous people 
is to express and expand our joy that we have in God. You see, when we understand that our satisfaction, that our joy, our pleasure, all comes from Christ, it changes everything. The pursuit of deepest joy is the pursuit of giving, not getting. Because God is most glorified in us. There's many other ways it changes everything, but God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Now I want to close with this thought. Because here's my fear. My fear is that we tend to reverse this. My fear is that we tend to reverse who gets the glory. My fear is that we begin to think that, you know what, we begin to give glory to our careers, our finances, our kids, our marriages, our relationships, all those sorts of things. We begin to to give them glory, and we begin to put them in, we reverse it. And so here's what we end up saying. We say, I, I am most satisfied with God when He works to glorify me. Like, I am most satisfied in God when He begins, when He works the way I want Him to work. And so what happens? The glory now becomes mine. The glory is me. I begin to give glory to my career. I begin to give glory to my relationships. I begin to give glory to my finances. Now listen, God is still a part of the story. We've just reversed the order. God is still a major part of our story, but He's there in a support role. Why? So that we can get glory. So the glory goes to our marriages. The glory goes to our relationships. The glory goes to God's gifts, not not God Himself. We, I, become the center of the story. Instead of God being the center of the story. That's what happens when we reverse glory. That's what happens when we do that. And so the real danger of inverting glory is this. That God is there just to support us. And what happens when He doesn't support us the way we think He should? Think about that. Our faith begins to deteriorate. That's why you'll come across people that say, you know what, I'll never darken the door of the church again. Why? Because they prayed for a loved one that had cancer. Prayed for their healing and it didn't happen. They prayed for their their marriage not to end in divorce, but it did. See, God didn't come through the way they thought He would. And what happens is when 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 we invert glory and begin to use the good things of God for our glory, what ends up happening is our faith begins to deteriorate when God doesn't come through the way we think He should. See, when God, so what does it look like when God gets the glory? Here's what it looks like. It looks like when, when we realize that God was God long before any of us ever entered this earth. And He will be God long after every single one of us are gone. He is God that works in ways that we can't see, ways that we can't imagine, ways that we can't think. His thoughts, His ways are bigger than ours. 
We can't begin to wrap our mind around the way He works. And when we begin to understand this, we are able to give Him glory regardless of the circumstances because we have confidence in a God that created everything for His glory. We have confidence in a God that sent His Son to redeem us for His glory. We have confidence in a God that is working all things out for His glory. And we're able to sing and shout, glory, glory, hallelujah. Why? Because we have an inverted glory. See, oftentimes I think we do what often happens at football games. After every touchdown, what happens at a Georgia game and an Auburn game? They play this song, glory, glory to old Georgia. Or glory, glory to old Auburn. What's happened? What, you know that song, right? It's the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And it says, glory, glory, what? Hallelujah. Glory to God. But oftentimes we invert that and make it glory to me. And when we do, and God doesn't come through, our faith deteriorates. And that's why Paul says, listen, I want you to know that to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And the way you and I glorify God is finding all of our satisfaction in Him. Let's pray. Father, I think oftentimes in our lives we sing glory, glory to ourselves as opposed to glory, glory, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know I do in my own life, Father. I know that I make that same mistake. And I invert glory. And then I wonder why my faith in certain circumstances begins to, to, to wane, begins to deteriorate. And it's because I'm not seeking your glory. I'm making it about me and not you. And so first and foremost, Father, forgive us when we do that. Forgive us on those times that we make it about our glory. Because, Father, we understand and we, we get that you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. And some of us here this morning need to repent of chasing after other things to satisfy us. Some of us in this room need to repent of chasing after relationships that we think will bring us satisfaction or careers that we think will bring us joy, or money that we think will bring us pleasure, or things that we think will, will make us happy. And right now, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart right now. And if you've been chasing after those things, repent of it. Just at your seat, just say, Jesus, you get the glory. I'm tired of chasing after relationships and things and careers and money and all those stu the stuff that will never bring satisfaction. I just sit your seat and say, Jesus, I want you to receive the glory. I want my life to be about, my, my life to be Christ and my death to be gain. Jesus, may that be our prayer that we would live as Christ 
and die would be gain. And we pray this in Jesus' name, who deserves all the glory. Amen. And what we're going to do, we're going to close out with just a time of worship.